Well, welcome everybody, and uh, you can find your seats and um, grab your Bibles or your phones. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, is where we're going to kind of land. We've been in our series. We will be all summer in the series through our book, uh, through the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, the name of the series is simple. It's Yahweh is giving you. Uh, God is giving you. When you read through the book of Deuteronomy over and over again, you find this phrase that God is giving you or God will give you or Yahweh will give you. It's over and over and over again in the book. And God is saying, look, this isn't about you. This is about me and what I can give. Will you trust me? Will you, will you trust me with your life? Will you trust me with your future? Um, I, I'm trying to, to give you good things. Um, and yet Deuteronomy, we know, is a book that talks about a lot of rules and laws and regulation, right? And you're like, wait, I, I want to be given good things, but I don't want that, right? Like, I don't want... But that's actually the path to seeing the goodness of God. It's the path in our heart that says, wow, when I see that God is so kind and so caring that he actually lets me in on his will. He lets me in on who he is and who I am as a person and what the world is like around me. All of a sudden, my mentality can begin to change. And I'm like, I begin to see things that, wow, God is giving me something. Like he's giving us something and we need to tune into what that is. And that's really the book of Deuteronomy. Today, we're going to look at the idea of what is the meaning of? What is the meaning of? You go, meaning of what? Exactly, right? Like, this is the question of our world. What's the meaning of this? What's the meaning of that? We overthink things. We underthink things. We don't think about anything sometimes or try not to. Like, but really, when you, when you look in this book and when we turn to chapter 6, God is turning a corner. Chapter 6 is the pinnacle moment for the Jews of the entire Bible. Chapter 6 is, is the Shema. It's what they still quote today. And at the end of chapter 6, Moses begins to go on this, this rant. And, and this is what he says. He says, when your sons ask you in the future, what's the meaning of the decrees, the statutes and ordinances, which the Lord our God has commanded you, Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. You are going to be at, how many of you have children, right? You can raise your hand, okay, good. I have children, right? How many of you know a child? That'd probably be everyone, okay? In the, yeah, we've all, how many times, why? Why? What's the meaning? Why should, I? like, and it's like, you just, just do it, right? Like, but God, in his kindness, knew we would ask why, so he prepared us to have some answers. He gave people answers. He gave us a Bible, like, your sons, your daughters, people are going to ask you, what's the meaning, and you better be ready. Your, your sons are going to ask you, what's the meaning of this whole promised land, and we're moving, and we, how did we get here? Dad, how did we get here, Mom? And if you just look at them and go, I don't know, he just, like, appeared one day, like, that's not true. There was a whole process. There's a grandfather and a great-grandfather and a great-great-grandfather, and it goes all the way back. And if you don't know the story, what ends up happening is you start repeating the terrible things you did in the past. But if you know the story, you can begin to direct the paths and understand what God is giving us. And that's exactly what Moses is doing here. He's saying, look, your sons, remember, they have been wandering in the wilderness 40 years. They're now on the edge of the promised land ready to go in. For 40 years, they've been doing stupid stuff, and there's an entire generation that's dying off because of their sin. God said, I can't let you go in. Their sons and daughters didn't see the deliverance. They, they don't, they've seen God provide in the wilderness, but they've never knew slavery. They don't know the promised land. They're kind of in this in-between land. This wilderness, they're wandering around wondering, what's the purpose? We keep going around in a desert and like waiting for manna to fall from the sky for God to feed us, which the Bible talks about. What's the purpose of all this? And Moses is saying, you better know. <laughs> you better tell them the story. And isn't it interesting that what he does, which I think is awesome, is the first thing he says is he says, you tell them you were a slave. Notice he doesn't say, tell them about the goodness of God. He doesn't say, tell them about all these wonderful miracles. He says, the first thing you need to remind them is we are slaves without God. I was a slave without him. We'd still be in Egypt, under slavery, in a mess, and our lives controlled had it not been for God's deliverance. So the first 
step in the story, the first thing God says is, what is the meaning of all this? And the first thing is, we need a savior. We need someone to save us from the slavery we're in, son. And we had someone who saved me, your dad. That's what I've told my children. Your, your dad was a sinner. Your dad didn't know God. Your dad treated people however he wanted to treat them for his own benefit. He didn't care about anybody but himself. But then my freshman year of college, God got a hold of my heart. I had parents, I had grandparents who prayed for me, who showed me what it looked like to live for God. They told me the stories of God. They told me these things. And as a result, I was prepared to hear the message of salvation. And when someone asked me, what's the meaning of your life? What's the meaning of Jesus? What's the meaning of heaven? I'm like, I'm not sure. And they explained it to me. I was ripe to respond. And Moses is saying, your sons and daughters need to be ripe and ripe to respond to what's getting ready to happen to go into the promised land. They, they, you got to get them ready. And so this is the first thing he tells them. The next thing he says is he says, listen, this goes back to the Shema earlier, because earlier this is what Moses said to them. Listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. That's what they're doing now. This is what you're to tell your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Over and over again in Deuteronomy, this is the phrase. Like, he did this. God brought you out of slavery. You couldn't deliver yourself. You need him. You better cling to him. Like, it's over and over and over again. And that's the same message for us today. He goes on and Moses says this, before our eyes, so son, we were slaves, but before our eyes, he says, the Lord inflicted great and devastating signs and wonders on Egypt, on Pharaoh and on all his household, but he brought us from there in order to lead us and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. In other words, this isn't about us. God is a promise keeper. He's not doing this because we were really great. Matter of fact, we weren't that great. He's doing this because... He had grandparents, Abraham. The reason I sit before you often, I think about this, is probably not because I'm great, because I'm not. It's because I had grandparents, and I had great-grandparents, and I had people, parents, who prayed and sought God on my behalf. They wouldn't stop. That, that I'm here not because I'm something special, but because there were people who were faithful and believed God for bigger things than themselves. And I have to remember that. You have to remember that. We stand on the shoulders of people who went before us. The reason you have a Bible is because there were spiritual fathers, Peter, Paul, John, who went before us to tell us the stories. And that's exactly what he says. And he says, look, he, he inflicted these things on Pharaoh. Now, why would he inflict these things on Pharaoh? Well, he wouldn't let, Pharaoh wouldn't let his people go worship. God gave Pharaoh multiple opportunities to bless his people to let them go to worship. And even if you read scripture, he might have let them come back and lived in Egypt. We don't know. We don't know what would have happened. God knew he wasn't going to respond. He knew his heart was hard. And then it said he brought them in order to lead us and give us the land he swore to our fathers. He's like, the reason he did all this is because he genuinely wants to be with us. He wants to lead us. He wants to be with us, and he wants to lead you, son. He wants to lead you, daughter. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He's not distant, and he wants to show you how great he is and what he can do. He wants to show off his glory, because that's what God does. He doesn't want to make you a show-off. He wants to be the show-off, because he's the only one that can handle it. In 1 John, this is what John says. He says, look, don't love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. You see, the cure for the meaning of life is the reality that we got a mess and see, Pharaoh couldn't deal with that. Pharaoh couldn't deal with the reality that was a, there was a God above him. I'm Pharaoh. I'm in charge of the world. I'm the one that calls the shots. Pharaoh could not admit that there was someone above him because Pharaoh believed he was a God. 
He believed his son was a God, which is why God had to take it all the way to the 10th plague and had to take all the firstborn sons of Egypt. And remember what I have told you numerous times in this series. God never does anything that he doesn't put on himself. He took Pharaoh's first son, but what did God do with his only son? That's right. He was crucified for us. So it looks like, wow, that's pretty brutal that God would do that. There's no other way to get our attention. Am I right? Do you really worship God well when things are going well? I don't. I typically watch TV and eat stuff. Just being honest. I do. Holly's laughing because she's seen me in my home for four years. Like, and you do too. When things are going well, like, but then when there's a crisis, it's like, oh Lord, I'm here. Where are like, and that's just our heart. We have to train our hearts to, to, to cry out to God. We have to train our hearts to love God. We have to train our hearts to give him praise. And typically, the reason that happens is because we've been through the garbage and we know what blessing really looks like and so now we know how to praise him in the midst of it. That's exactly what John is saying. And you want to know what the cure for the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is? The ultimate cure for the meaning of life, the lust of the eyes, the, the, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. You ready? Getting old. <laughs> right? Lust of the eyes. Right? I got no energy. Doesn't matter. <laughs> like, I could want that, but I don't have the energy to get it. I don't, could you get it for me? Like, I said, lust of the eyes, right? Like, I'm just tired. Lust of the flesh. You're like, I, I can't even pick my arm up half the time. Well, I mean, there's the pride of life. You look around, you go, my body's doing things. I didn't, it doesn't do anything I want it to do. It's a, it strips you of your pride. Your lust is gone. Like, it's like, yep. You see, God, when he said mankind would have to die, when there was a death sentence put on mankind because of our sin, it was actually merciful to do that. He didn't want sin to live forever, so he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you live and die, and then I'm willing to then bring you back to life through resurrection. He said, but the process has to happen because if there's not a process of aging, if there's not a process, then what's going to happen is you're going to live by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And then when I come back, you're not going to be ready to meet me. You're going to perish. And so out of his mercy, he allows us to age. And isn't it interesting that we do everything we can to keep from aging, to keep the lust of the eyes, to keep the lust of the flesh, to keep the pride of the life intact. We do everything we can because we don't want to be humbled. And God's like, no. I mean, this, just this week, I saw where a man has built, this was uh, overseas in Europe, he, he built a death pod. It's, it's a pod that you can build now with a plastic printing machine. He can't produce them because it's illegal to produce death pods. But he can release the plans to build them for free on the internet. So he's released these plans. You can you can computer print, 3D print plastic pod that you can sit in. It can also be your burial chamber. And it has a nitrogen um, canister that you can hit. And you can lay in there, hit the nitrogen, and die and kill yourself. Why? Why? What's the meaning of that? Well, the meaning is you don't think there's any more purpose to your life when, can I be honest with you, the reason we don't want to look at those who are hurting and aged is because we don't want to deal with our own frailty and the reality. And he's looking at these sons and saying, sons, we're all dying in the wilderness. <laughs> you better be ready. Your day's going to come too. Don't live by the world. Live by God, trusting him, follow him, believing that there is a promised land, that there's a heaven for you. He goes on, the Lord commanded us to follow all these statutes and Fear the Lord our God for our prosperity always and for our preservation as it is today. In other words, the reason we're preserved today is because we've listened. Righteousness will be ours if we're careful to follow every one of these commands before the Lord our God. He has commanded us. He says, look, if we're going to know what the right thing to do is in our culture, then we're going to have to look at what God says and do it. He's not talking about righteousness as in we work like, look at all these good things I've done. Because the whole theme of the book of Deuteronomy is you can't work your way to get to God. It's his gift. That's the whole theme of the book. So that's not what this means. He's not saying you're going to do all these rules and then you're going to be right and you can have the pride of life and say, look at me how awesome I am. Oh, no. 
That'll get you killed. That's not what God is saying. He's saying you can experience what rightness feels like in a family and in a culture if you'll just listen, son, and do these things that God says and interpret. Here's, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, don't worry about, or don't worry, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for the idolaters eagerly seek all these things. But your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. We seek his righteousness. Jesus said, seek the right answer from God, the meaning of life. What is this about? That's what we're supposed to seek. It's no different than Deuteronomy. It's the same thing. Jesus said, do it. And he'll bring you that. See, our problem is, when will it be provided, right? All these things will be provided for you. Okay, I get that, but when? Because I need it now. Like, like I know you say you'll provide it, but I need it now. You got to remember, these fathers that are telling their sons, that are reminding their sons of what's getting ready to happen, they're dying. They're on their deathbed. They're not getting into the promised land. And they're looking at their sons and saying, I know what God said he would provide, and I'm not going to get it. But son, you need to prepare yourself to have it. I've lived 40 years in the wilderness. I've tried to follow God. I've done everything I can, and it hasn't been for me. It's been for you and for those that will follow after you and for those in the nations that will believe. That's why we continue to do this. And that's exactly what he lays out. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says it this way. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Certain, look at that. Certain that God is appealing through us. That's what they're trying to tell their sons. God's trying to show the world an appeal. To show them what it looks like to love God, that he's real. And then he says, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be made right before him. He made the one, that's Jesus, who did not know sin to be sin for us, to take our place, our punishment, so that we might become what? The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Working together with him, we also appeal to you. Don't receive God's grace, his gift in vain. That's what Moses is telling them to tell their sons. This gift you've been given of being delivered from slavery and this gift of the promised land that's coming, don't take this for vain. Don't think that this is about you. It's about God. Don't don't live in vain of the meaning of what this means. Don't live in vain of what Christ did. He's giving it to you, and our job is to appeal to others to say, look at how awesome God is. Look at what he did in Egypt. Look at what he did in my life. Look at what he's done. We went to a wedding yesterday. Dylan Michael's wedding was yesterday. Dylan was a member of our church for a long time, and we got to attend the wedding, and it was just so encouraging for me to see what God had done. Here's Dylan, when he came to his, we were talking to Stephen, who was in the Bible study, the first Bible study Dylan ever came to as a new believer. He became a believer here and then got connected and went to his first small group, regroup. Walked in, and Dylan is asking all of these meaning questions. Well, what's the meaning of this, and what's the meaning of that? And Stephen was like, we didn't know what to tell him. This guy was asking every hard question there was, and we're like, I don't know. Like it was, and like he was just pursuing seeking righteousness. He was seeking what the right answers were because he knew this God now and he was just hungry. And now to see him being married to this wonderful woman who loves the Lord and is walking with him and they're walking together and their entire wedding was a celebration of who God was and who Jesus was and what Jesus was going to do in their life. It wasn't about them. It wasn't about them. It was beautiful. And then to hear the stories from former people that have gone through our church, from students and people who've been who are married. There's a, a couple we talked to that are getting ready to go to Tunisia. They'll probably come and speak to us about that. And I'm just, I'm looking at all that and I'm going, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are faithful, that when we tell your sons and daughters who you are, they're responding, that the people are responding. And it was so humbling for me to think, Man, who am I to complain about my job or what I have to do or we're not seeing results when I'm looking around and there's these people that are just sold out. It's like, thank thank you, Lord, that you did that. That wasn't me. That wasn't some grand plan we had. It was just we want to be faithful. And it was interesting because one of the people asked, it was a great question, 
His wife, who we didn't know as well, because she only came here a couple of times, the wife asked the question of us. She's like, so explain to me, like, the demographics of your church. What's your church like? And it was so hard. <laughs> Both Susan and I looked at each other like, uh, well... Like, and I think Britt, who's not here today, she's dealing with a sick child, and we brought Britt back last night from the wedding, Britt Kurtman. Britt put it well when we were sitting at the table, and she said, I think if you define our church, it's kind of like, we're just a bunch of sinners who really need Jesus to save us. <laughs> I'm like, that's the best definition I got. <laughs> like, I'm like, we're kind of white, but so is Bloomington. I wish we had more diversity, you know, but Bloomington's not that diverse. We try to serve being in the African-American cultural center in Bloomington and try to serve here. And like, we try to reach out and we've had ethnically diverse people. But I, I said, we have all different ages, even though we're kind of supposed to be a college kind of church. And I, you, like, I, I don't know how to describe us. We're just kind of weird. And then we started talking and I'm like, I'm sure that if we sent church planners out from our church, Every church we plant is going to look nothing like the one before because it's like, go and figure it out. Like, it's like this beautiful picture, and that's exactly what he's saying here, that we make this appeal. 7.1 says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you're entering to possess, and he drives out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and powerful than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you and you defeat them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaty with them. Show them no mercy. We read that verse and that's hard, right? How could he just wipe out people? Can I believe in a God that would do this? Can I just tell you, he doesn't say do this to the whole world. He only names seven nations. That's it. The other nations he says to try to make peace with. He only names seven nations. My guess is he knows that these seven nations, he knows their heart, and he knows what's going to happen. And we'll see that in just a second. That if you don't do this, it's going to be bad for you, and it's going to be bad for the world if you don't follow through on what I'm asking you to do. And I know it's hard. And we read this and we go, how could you do this? Well, let's see. We fought two world wars and had to do this. We had to drop two bombs on Japan. You want to know why? Because the emperor thought he was God and they, there was no way to break the emperor's will to tell his people he was God and they needed to die for him until he broke when he saw his people completely devastated, completely wiped out, and he looked and he said, on national radio, I'm not God. For the first time in Japan's history, the emperor came and said, I'm not God, we need to surrender. I'm not saying it was right to drop the bombs. I don't know. War is messy. It's awful because we'll kill each other for simple things, not even the complex things that war brings. And I look at this and I'm like, okay, he names seven nations. He says, don't show mercy. He says, look, I'm going to do it. I'm going to drive them out. You just have to be careful not to let them back in. And isn't this what God does with the sin in our lives? See, these, these seven nations kind of represent the sin in our heart. That God wants to drive out the sin, but what we do is we keep letting it back in when he's told us it's not good for us. That's not good for you. Well, I know you say that, but they have a, there's a lot of benefits. No, there's no benefits if I told you to get it out of your life. There's no benefits to it. Get rid of it. Well, but you don't understand, God. I understand. And that's why he goes on to say this. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters or their sons or take their daughters for your sons because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will swiftly destroy you. You're going to become just like them. You think you're strong enough to handle this? You're not. They are so wicked and so evil that you are not prepared for this. You can't make a treaty with these people. There will be no peace with them. You, you have to to push them out. They have to be kept out of the land. That's why we have prisons, by the way. We practice this. We know there are people that they will not submit to anyone. They will make their own law and, and make everyone around them submit to themselves, even if it means killing and maiming and hurting everyone around them. And we say, that's not good. We, we, can't, we have the death penalty in many places. Why? Because we've given them every chance. We've even brought a priest in or a pastor in in their final last rites to say, would you repent? And they still say, no, pull the lever. And God says, this is exactly what will happen to you. 
if you're not careful. It's so subtle. It's so easy to think, oh, but my son or my daughter, they love each other. God is love. And if you don't have his definition of love, then whatever definition you have is falling short. And you're going to end up killing yourself and killing the other person. Love is difficult. And you better have God at the top of it like Dylan and Courtney said they would. And that regardless of whether you love me or not, I'm going to continue to give my love to you because that's what God has done for us. It's exactly what he says. And he says, if you don't do that, the Lord's anger is going to burn. Second Corinthians, Paul says this, working together with him, we also appeal to you. Don't receive God's grace in vain. I speak as to my children, as a proper response, you should be open to us. Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Be what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? I love that. Look, it's the same Bible. Moses said it. Paul said it. And we think we get a pass. Well, but we have grace now. I can do whatever I want. No, no. You can, and you're going to suffer the consequences of it. Be careful who you get into relationships with. Business partnerships, marriages, all those things. And it's interesting to me because there's so many times where people will come to me and their marriage is struggling or something's struggling, and they'll say, well, well, I found out that they don't believe. They're an unbeliever. The Bible has something to say about that. You can read it in Another one of Paul's letters in Corinthians where he talks about what an unbelieving spouse is to do when, or a believing spouse is to do when they have an unbelieving spouse. And that's there and it's written down for us to have an answer. But in this circumstance, when, when he's laying this out, he's like, why don't you address the problem beforehand? Be careful. You think you can handle it. You think you can missionary date the Canaanites, right? I'm going to missionary date them. I'm going to reach these Canaanites for Jesus. And God's like, yeah, it's not going to work. Not, it's not going to work. They're going to corrupt you. Because like, they have no light in them. They, don't, they can't offer you anything. That doesn't mean you can't be their friend. doesn't mean you can't invite them to go out with the group of people you go out with on a regular basis. And they're a part of the group. And you invite them into the group. And, and we, hey, you can come along. We want you to be a part of our group. And I'd love to get to know you. You want a date? Nope, I can't date you. Sorry, you don't know Jesus. And don't just accept Jesus because if you do, you think I'm going to date you. I need to see you grow a little bit. I need to be sure that you obey God. See, that's the heart that Deuteronomy and the New Testament talks about. Because Paul says this, for we are the sanctuary of the living God. As God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them. He wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. And I will be their God and they'll be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing. I'll welcome you. I'll be a father to you, and, I'll, and you'll be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. See, God's trying to build a different kind of family. He's trying to say, look, in this family, we know how to submit to one another. We know how to get along. We, we know how to encourage one another and spur one another. We have rules and laws and ordinances in these families, and we, and we follow them. We hold one another accountable because we know who God is, and we know that his laws are good and his ways are good. And I'm not trying to be mean. It's just... That's who we are. And he says, our bodies are the new sanctuary. Why would you want to invite something into your body to pollute you? Why would you want to drink nuclear waste? Just to see if you can survive it? I just believe God will heal me. How about you just not drink nuclear waste? <laughs> That'd probably be a better idea. See, that's exactly what God's trying to get us to see. And can I tell you, how awesome would it be to go around and look at someone and say, hey, I think you're a great I, I see some great qualities in you. I see that, that God has really been drawing you into a relationship with him. And I wish you'd submit. I wish you'd surrender to him. But you won't. You don't know him. You don't claim to know him. And so I, I don't know how to go any further in our relationship. Now, if you're in a relationship, again, the Bible says how to do that. He says to stay in a relationship with an unbelieving spouse, if you can, if they'll let you, and try to make peace. That's in 1 Corinthians 7. You can read about that. He goes on, the Lord was devoted to you, Moses says, and chose you. You didn't choose him. You were slaves in Egypt. <laughs> you were just crying. God help me. God help me. And God's like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to come do some work. 
And, and, and he says, not because you were more numerous than all the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers. God's a promise keeper. He brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh the king. In 1 Peter, Peter says it this way, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for God's possession, his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of slavery, out of darkness, into his marvelous light. Once you weren't even a people, but now you're God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers, and look at this, temporary residents. We're not to the promised land yet. The promised land isn't a place on earth right now. It's a place that Jesus will bring someday. We're just temporary wanderers. And that's who Moses is speaking to in this moment. People who've been wandering for 40 years thinking we're going to get in the promised land and then it's all going to work out great and it's going to be permanent and there's going to be no problems. God never said that. He said, I'm going to give you a land. But the reason he gives them the land, we find out later, is just to show them how stiff-necked they are. I'm going to give it to you and then you're just going to misuse it. And I'm going to have to take it away, just like a good father does. <laughs> when you misuse things, you're driving the car around, running into people, running over bicyclists, I have to take the car away because <laughs> I don't want you hurting people. No different. He goes on, he says, dear friends, I urge you as these temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. That's nations that aren't Jewish. Conduct yourself honorably so that in a case when they speak against you as those who do what is evil, they will, by observing your good works, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether the emperor or the supreme authority, or to governors or to those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. In other words, at one point, God used his people to be his punishment tool. He's told us we don't have that option now as believers. We're waiting for Jesus to bring his punishment. Our job now is to live in a way where we tell people there's a punishment coming. You better be ready. I'm not allowed to punish you right now. I can call you to discipline. I can call you to a relationship. If I'm in a position of authority, I should use that authority as an apparent or an employer to, to do righteousness, but I'm not in a position to, to take life. That, that's off the table as it relates to my ability to to do what has to be done for God. I can't just, we're not killing the nations around us. God hasn't given us seven nations to dispose of. What he's done now is he's told us, I'm trying to make you into a new nation that will trust me and will pick up their cross and follow me and will give your life to people who, who won't listen because that's what I did all the way through the wilderness. It's what I did in the promised land. And I'm asking you to be a better example of my holiness, my goodness. And that's what we're called to do. And just remember, when he says honor the emperor, the emperor at this time was saying he was God. How do you honor someone who believes they're God? Well, you tell them they're not God. <laughs> and you look at their decrees, and when they give decrees, you say, well, you're, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to try to, like, assassinate you. I'm just going to... Continue to tell you you're not God and tell people you're not God and tell them about who the real God is and whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to try to overthrow you. See, this is hard stuff. This is complicated stuff when you really dig down to it. See, God fulfilled his promise. He gave them a land, but he wants to show us a better land. He says, know that Yahweh your God is the God, the faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his command. You know why you're sitting here? Because that verse is true. You're sitting here listening to this story and listening to this message because God has been keeping his covenant for thousands of years. And there have been fathers and grandfathers who continue to tell the story and the truth about who he is and they won't compromise. And the reason we sit here today is because we have the word. We have these words that are life to us. They're the bread of life to us. He goes on and he says, but he directly pays back and destroys those who hate him. He will not hesitate to directly pay back the one who hates him. So keep the command, the statutes and the ordinances that I'm giving you to follow today. If you listen to and are careful to keep these ordinances, the Lord your God will keep his covenant of loyalty with you as he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. 
He will bless your descendants and the produce of your land, your grain, your new wine, your oil, the young of your herd and the newborn of your flocks and the land he swore to your fathers that he would give you. You would be blessed above all people. There will be no infertile male or female among you or your livestock. You know, we read this and we think, is that really possible? That, that, that there would be nothing? And can I just tell you the whole fertility thing was something that was misused in the Bible? That the Pharisees and the religious leaders used the infertility issue to make women feel terrible. If they couldn't have a child, oh, like Sarah in the Old Testament, women that were infertile, that couldn't have children, the religious leaders would look at them and say, it's your sin that's causing it. And because you're a sinner, you can't have a baby, and so you need to get unsinful, and you need to give us money, and we'll do sacrifices for you. That was the normal way they dealt with it. But notice what God says here. He's not talking about an individual sin, is he? He's talking about national sin. He's looking and saying the reason you're in the mess you're in is not because one person's sinning. It's because no one will confront the sin. And you think it doesn't affect you. Guess what? It's going to affect you. It's kind of like this. In Russia just recently, it was found out that there was a, a secret nuclear waste facility that the Russians just dumped in this area where people live. They couldn't figure out why there was a 70% cancer rate among the people in that area until they did some digging and found out that the leaders had corrupted everything around them and it was killing them. That's exactly what happens. Only it's spiritual corruption as much as it is physical. And it affects everybody and nobody gets a pass. And we cry out to God and we ask him to, to save us and we cry out and so we say... Look, God, I know you may not give me the blessing right now, but I know that you're going to have a future for descendants that will come. And so I'm willing to give whatever it is. I'm willing to die with this cancer. I'm willing to stay in this nuclear waste dump to tell people about you because there's a promised land coming that this is never going to be the promised land. There's a missionary I know who's getting ready to go overseas. He's been having me pray for him that he might get his health ready. He has asthma. His asthma's worse when he puts on weight. So he's trying to lose some weight and do some running. Why? Because he's moving to a city in Asia that has one of the highest air pollution levels in the world. But they don't know Jesus. And so he said, I don't care if I die. I don't care if I get sick. They don't know him. I've got to go. I have to go. And I've got to do everything I can to get my body ready to go. Help me. Hold me accountable. Talk to me through this so I can get ready to do what it takes to live there. And he goes and pray for my children because they're going to be raised in a dump. And we plan to be there long term. Guys, this is what God is saying in Deuteronomy. He's looking, he's saying, look, it's going to be corrupted and will you trust me for the descendants, not just for your own personal blessing? He says he's going to bless, he's going to, he's going to do these things. But again, the question for us is when? When are you going to produce the fruit? When are you going to do this? And God says, when, when, I, when it's time. Well, isn't it time now for me? No. Well, that's not fair. <laughs> Who defines fair? God does. Who are you doing it for? Him and for others or for yourself? See, it exposes our heart really quickly when we get to these verses. Really quickly, because all of a sudden we're looking at this going, yeah, I can just obey God. Had a conversation this week with a young man. It was a very hard conversation. He believes in the prosperity gospel. You can claim things over people and it'll happen. And he's been claiming things over his girlfriend. Been claiming healing for her and she's not getting healed. So he's saying, I, I need you to pray for me. And he's claiming these healings and over her over and over and over again. And I'm thinking, where's that relationship headed if God chooses not to heal her? Whose fault is it? It's not his, because he has a word from God. He can command demons and command sickness out of people instantly. And if it doesn't happen, well, it must be because she's a sinner. and She's not doing what she needs to do because God's supposed to fix everything instantly. Look, God can heal people. I've seen it happen. God can make miracles happen. But can I tell you, sometimes he withholds. Paul prayed three times for something to be taken away. We don't know what it was. The apostle Paul, righteous dude. And God said, no, I put it in your life so that you have to trust me in grace. 
And for me to even tell that young man that, can you imagine the abuse that young girl's headed for? Possibly. Everything's always going to be her fault because she doesn't have enough faith. That's a wicked teaching we have to be careful of. Wicked. And it's easy to get trapped by it. Easy to get trapped by that when someone's hurting and they want a healing. And God says, it may not be your fault. You may be living in a nation that's so grotesque and doesn't listen to me that you're suffering the consequences of just nuclear fallout. And you cry out to me and you tell people, there's a way out of this, but it's not going to be in this life. It's the next one. He goes on and he says this, the Lord will remove all sickness from you. He'll not put on you all the terrible diseases of Egypt that you know about, but he'll inflict them on those who hate you. You must destroy all the peoples the Lord your God is delivering over to you. Not look on them with pity. Do not worship their gods, for that will be a snare to you. If you say to yourself, these nations are greater than I, how can I drive them out? That's what they said before. It's why they've been wandering around. It's because they were afraid that God wouldn't come through, that he wouldn't keep his promise. Do not be afraid of them. Be sure to remember what the Lord God did to Pharaoh and all Egypt. The great trials that you saw, the signs and wonders, the strong hand, the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the people you fear. The Lord your God will also send the hornet against them until all the survivors and those hiding from you perish. Don't be terrified of them for the Lord your God, a great and awesome God is among you. He's among us. What are we afraid of? And when Jesus walked among us, we were terrified of him. That's why they crucified him. That's why you and I would have let him be crucified. Because his message terrified us because it didn't give us the promised land we wanted. It didn't overthrow the Romans right now for me. He goes on, the Lord your God will drive out these nations before you. Look at this, little by little. I love this. God's like, you want it quick. I want to see if you'll trust me. You see, God doesn't drive all the sin out of our life immediately. He does what's called sanctification. He makes us more holy. It's a process. And he says, I'm going to deal with one sin and deal with another sin because if I dealt with all your sin at once, you'll kill yourself. You'll end your life. If I show you who you really are fully deep down inside, you won't survive it. So out of love, I'm going to little by little show you your heart. And if I had to discipline you fully for the heart that you have, you'll be dead. So I'm going to discipline you little by little to see if you'll respond to me. This is how God's heart works. And then he says, you'll not be able to destroy them at all, all at once. Otherwise, the wild animals become too numerous for you. He's like, they'll take over your life. You'll be a mess. Exactly. Which is why in his grace, he deals with one thing at a time. And then when we try not to deal with something and move on to something else, you want to know what God always does? Ah, 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 ah. We got to go back and deal with that, right? It's like you. I've said this analogy before. It's like you and me. Our, our parents say, clean your room. And we're like, oh, my room's such a mess. I don't want to clean my room. You know what? I'll go mow the yard. I'll do the dishes. I mean, you'll do everything else you can do and be like, okay, can I go out with my friends tonight? No, your room's not clean. But, but like, I mowed the yard, I did the dishes, I did, I did so much for you. <laughs> okay, that's great. I didn't ask you to do any of those things. I'm, thank you. Clean your room. <laughs> Why? Because we can't stand to be told what to do. Now, I get a little bit of power. I got you, Mom. See, you let me do what I wanted to do. I didn't have to do what you told me to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we move on. It's like, no, you got to do what I asked you to do. And that's what God does in his love. He brings us back around. We're wandering, and he brings us back to the round to the edge of the promised land. He goes, there it is. Now let's wander some more. You ready? No? Okay, let's go back. Like, in his love, he does that. It's not because he's mad. It's because he's trying to say, I'm just looking for some people who will say, we believe in you. We'll go. We'll surrender. And he goes on, he says, the Lord your God will give them over to you. Throw them into great confusion until they're destroyed. He'll hand their kings over to you. You will wipe out the names under heaven. No one will be able to stand against you. You will annihilate them. Notice he doesn't say you singular. This is you plural. You're going to have to do this together. See, we like to take these verses and then say, yeah, I'm going to annihilate. Wrong answer. <laughs> You have to do it together. And if other people are sinning, you're not going to be able to do it, even if you do everything right. That happens numerous times when you read the Old Testament. There was one guy, Achan, who hid some stuff in his tent, and a, plant, a mess happened. They got destroyed. We'll learn later in the, like in Joshua, 
And everybody's like, what happened? It's like one dude did something wrong and it's affecting the whole nation. See, God is holy. And he asks us to call one another to holiness in grace and in patience. But he says, be careful because your sin affects other people around you. It's not just about you. It's, It's a bigger plan that I have. And yes, it's individual, but it's bigger than that. He goes on in Matthew 10, Jesus says this, don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Again, Jesus is repeating, rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Wait, Jesus talked about hell? I thought he was really loving and caring. And he was like, you know, Jesus carries a lamb and pets him. Like, I thought that was the image. I mean, Jesus talks about destruction and hell and hard things? Absolutely, because he loves us. He's warning us. He wants us to be careful. He says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny, yet one of them falls to the ground without your father? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid, therefore. You're worth more than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I'll acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I'll also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus says, look, I didn't come to make us all get along with the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perith. Nuh-uh. I came to separate And when you read the next passage, he defines what that looks like, and it's messy. And he says, I'm not trying to hurt people. I'm just telling you that if you choose me, the world around you won't like it because they're not choosing me. And he looks and he says, I came. I I would love to be the prince of peace to people, and I do bring peace, but there's no way to bring peace without a sword because you guys won't listen. That's the story of the Bible. He says, you must burn the carved images of their God. Don't covet the silver and gold on the images and take it for yourself or else you'll be ensnared by it for it's an an abhorment to the Lord your God. You must not bring any abhorment into thing, into your house or you'll be set apart for destruction like it. You are to utterly detest and abhor it because it's set apart for destruction. I mean, those are strong words. In 8.1, he says, you must carefully follow every command I'm giving you today so you may live and increase and may enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to your fathers. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what's in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. This is exactly what God does to us. He invites us into a relationship, we trust him, and then he begins to say, really, how about we test some things? Let's see where your heart really is. Out of love, he does that. It's not because he's mean. He just knows that our heart's going to hurt people if we don't get the right heart in us, which is his heart. And so he does this lovingly. It says he humbled you. God humbled you by letting you go hungry. How many of you have ever let your, don't raise your hands, let your kids go hungry? (laughs) How many of you have ever let your kids go hungry? Like the Bible commands fasting, by the way, right? Science says fasting is actually good for us. We don't do it anymore. Baptists especially. Baptists eat at every gathering. They don't fast. Okay? It's like, I'm serious. It's kind of problematic. It's why Baptists tend to be bigger, I guess. I don't know. Because we don't fast. We eat. And it's fine. You want to celebrate and eat. But there should be a time where you choose not to eat to say, God, you're my food. You're my bread. I trust you. I don't have to eat. He says, look, he lets you go hungry to humble you. He gave you, then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known so that you might learn that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus repeated this as well when he was tempted. Your clothing did not wear out and your feet did not swell those 40 years. For some of you women, you're happy about that. Not the clothing part, but the feet not swelling part, right? The clothing, can you imagine wearing the same clothes for 40 years? You never got the new trends. (laughs) Right? Like, God, you can really take these clothes. I'm fine with moths eating them. It's okay. Nope. You're going to have them for 40 years. Keep in mind that the Lord your God has been disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. He loves you like a son, a daughter. So keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God's bringing you into a good land with springs of water, springs and deep 
water sources. Remember, they've been in the desert 40 years, flowing in both valleys and hills, a land of wheat, barley, vines, figs, and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you'll eat food without shortage, where you'll lack nothing, a land where rocks are iron and from whose hills you you will mine copper. When you eat and are full, you will praise the Lord your God for the land he has given you. Not you're going to praise because look at what we've done. Make us great. No, 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 no. God did it. And you're going to praise him for what he's done. See, that's exactly what he's saying. And guess what? Israel never did this. They didn't. Every time they got lazy and took advantage and they quit doing the feasts and they quit celebrating and God's like, okay, fine. I got, I got to discipline you again. You're not listening. You're turning, you're turning other people away from me. Nations are turning and perishing because you won't live for me. I'm not doing this anymore. And he, and he bring disaster into their lives to, again, make them humble, to test them, to see if they'll cry out to him over and over again. Because he, and see, here's the great part. Someday when we get to heaven and we don't have these bodies anymore and we get new bodies, God says that we will do this forever at every feast, at every moment. We're going to be praising God for all the good things and it's never going to stop. And we're not going to battle this flesh and this fight that we have. It's all going to be done away with by the sword of Jesus. And when that happens, we're going to get to live this. Not because of us, but because of him. He goes on, he says, be careful that you don't forget. We are so quick to forget. That's why Moses is writing this book. He's saying, you guys are going to forget. Don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his command, the ordinances and statutes I'm giving you today. When you eat and are full... And build beautiful houses to live in. Sounds a lot like America for a lot of people. Not everybody's eating in full and not everybody has nice houses. But when we have those things and your herds and your flocks grow large, I don't think anybody has herds and flocks in here. Maybe you have a lot of cats. I don't know. Right? Dogs. And your silver and gold multiply and everything else you have increases. Be careful. That your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Be careful you don't start writing self-help books. When you get to this point, talking about your five points of how great you are. And look at what I've done and look what I've figured out and you can do it too. Oh yeah. No. Look at how great God is. I can't believe he's done this. I don't know if he's going to keep doing it. He's God, he can do whatever he wants. I'm just going to obey him. He's awesome. That's the self-help book I'm going to write someday. One page, like, here you go, $9.99. Like, I don't, no one will buy it because <laughs> it's too simple. He goes on and he says, and I love this, he led you through the great and terrible wilderness. Listen, if you've known God, if you've trusted him, you need to be reminded that there are times that he has led you through some terrible things. And the reason you're still sitting here today is because you haven't given up. That's why you're here right now. Otherwise, you'd be someplace else. You're here because you've gone through some terrible things and God has not stopped calling out to you to be his people, his nation, the people of his possession. And he says, it had poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land, there's no water. He brought water out of the flint rock for you. He fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers had not known in order to humble and test you so that in the end he might cause you to prosper. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me, but remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. In order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your fathers as it is today. If you can get up tomorrow and work, it's because he's saying thank you to Abraham. He's saying thank you to Moses. He's saying, I did that for you. I gave you breath. I gave you health. That was me. Goes on, he said, he led you through, um, sorry, next passage. If you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods to worship and bow down to them, I testify against you, that's Moses, today that you'll perish. You'll perish. Like the nations the Lord is about to destroy before you, you'll perish if you do not obey the Lord. That's true. We see our world around us perishing. Now, is he talking about salvation here? I don't know. I don't know that answer. I don't know that scholars know that answer. But I'm telling you, if you don't listen to what God says on how to do things, your world gets really bad really fast. And it's going to feel like everything around you is perishing. He goes on, he says, listen, Israel, today you're about to cross the Jordan to go and drive out nations greater and stronger than you with large cities fortified to the heavens. 
The people are strong and tall, the descendants of Anakin. You know about them and you've heard it said about them. Who can stand up to the sons of Anak? Can I just tell you, this is a beautiful picture of the sin in our lives. That we think the sin in our lives is greater and stronger than God can defeat, and it's not. That we look at generations of sinners and that we're experiencing fathers who pass down their sin to their fathers, to their fathers, and I have that burden on me, and God says, it's not too strong for me. And if you'll allow me and my people to help you, I am telling you, I will lead you. We can get through this. And you can declare to the nations how good I am and that I make a new covenant with you and that you can be adopted into my family and leave behind the mess. See, that's what this is. And they couldn't believe that. They saw the mess in front of them and the mess that they had. And they said, there's no way God could love me, could bless me, could could help me through this. God says, I can. But understand that today the Lord your God will cross over ahead of you. That should just give you like a sigh. He's he's not asking me to go on point. He's not asking me to take the book. He says, I'll go ahead of you. I'll lead the way. You just follow. You just follow. And we know that in the story, that's exactly what happens in Joshua. The ark leads the way. When the priests hit the water, the waters at flood stage fly apart. And it's like, we're following Right, like, that's amazing. I'm walking through. That's cool, right? Joshua's like, hey, as for me and my house, we're walking. Caleb's house, we're walking. I don't know about any of the rest of you, but this thing's going to close. You might want to come. Like, <laughs> that's what they did. Such a beautiful picture of our sin that God will part ways for us to get through the mess, to have deliverance if we'll just fight, if we'll follow him. Instead, the Lord your God will drive out these nations before you Not because of your goodness, but because of their wickedness in order to keep the promise he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. (laughs) By the way, the New Testament says that about us as well. (laughs) We are a stiff-necked people. What's a stiff-necked people? You ready? It looks like this. Look up here. This is what it looks like. Stiff-necked. The neck just, Right? Stiff-necked, how dare you tell me, right? That's who we are. Now, some people, it's a stiff neck this way. Their neck is stiffly down because they don't believe God can love them, could forgive them, could lead them. Both are wrong. Don't be stiff-necked. Lift your head to him. When people fell in fear to God over and over again in Scripture, he said, don't be afraid. Look. 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 It goes on and it says, remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord in the wilderness. You've rebelled against the Lord from the day you left the land of Egypt until the day you reached. You guys have been rebels the whole time and God's still leading you. He still loves you. He He still wants to show the nations what it looks like that God punishes his children, he disciplines his children just like everybody else, like he's trying to show who he is. Hebrews 13, 3.13 says it this way, but encourage each other daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we've become companions of the Messiah if we hold firmly to the end the reality that we had at the start. See, back in Eden, there was a promised land, there was a garden a perfect place. That was the start. And Jesus said, I'm going to bring a new Eden. I'm going to bring a new promised land. He goes on and he says, as it's said today, if you hear his voice, don't stiff neck. Don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled, wasn't it really all who came out of Egypt under Moses? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The reason a generation died wandering around the wilderness and Moses is speaking to them in this moment is because they wouldn't believe. Let me ask you this morning, will you believe? Will you believe that the meaning of life, the meaning of history, the meaning of how all this has gone down is because there's a God that's trying to get the attention of a creation that he created and a people he made special? 
Will you believe that we need to encourage each other daily while it's still called today because it's easy to become hardened. It is easy to become hardened. And I'm telling you, the wedding yesterday was one of those moments where it was just a smile on my face the whole time. Like, Lord, it's easy to be hardened. And when I see what you've done, I just smile. It wasn't me. I didn't, just you. And when people respond to you and they follow you and they they encourage one another in small groups and in church, and when they do this, look at what you can do. (laughs) Wow. I want to do that some more. (laughs) I want to keep doing this. I want to keep doing it. Not quitting. that's, That's what we do. And I just encourage you, don't have unbelief. Believe that God can forgive, that he can restore, that he can help you obey in the power of his Holy Spirit. 